Well, welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast. Today with Stefano Burciullo. Um, we started by, um, yeah, kind of trying to pronounce your last name. So, hi, Stefano. Hi there. Congrats on the pronunciation. That was, that was really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, you are uh, an interesting person and, and a funny, funny story I already told you. Uh, how I actually, uh, yeah, discovered you or your profile basically is... Uh, through um, yeah, a guest uh, on, on our show that we had so far, it was uh, Michael Bream. And um, you are, uh, yeah, let's say, I'm actually not gonna, I'm not gonna introduce you, you uh, because that's your job. So the first thing, obviously, as usual, um, I'm gonna ask you to kind of, yeah, give us a, a quick background on who you are, kind of where you come from and, and what you're doing now. That sounds good. Okay, let me start for the most recent stuff, maybe. So, um, I'm uh, well. I'm Italian, um, based in Berlin. Partner at uh, a very special VC firm, and and we can talk about what why that special later called Weston. But I have two hats. Um, one is that I take care of our, uh, I guide our data science efforts. So we are sort of a data-driven um, investment firm. And second, I also um, take care of our more deep tech investments there, where we need to understand better, uh, let's say, the technological side of our of our sort of investment cases, right? Um, my background is a bit uh, probably weird for, for, for people that at least come, come go to venture capital. So I have um, I come from academia first of all, um, did a PhD um, around complex systems and data science. Uh, really interested in understanding how how societies how financial systems work together, create issues, and how to solve them. And uh, that led me a bit into a journey in sustainable finance. And at some point, I was really interested in, in getting a bit more into early stage technology investing um, for two reasons. One it was that uh, when I had my own company, I, I, I almost despised most of the investor community. The reason was that I, I noticed that there was lots of, uh, lots of biases. I mean, you and I, uh, know each other you and i have bubbles have networks that we use and sometimes we don't really uh, look beyond of people that look like us so i noticed that there was lots of bias there and it kind of led me then to try and how can we offset at least partially these sort of biases and if really coming from data science myself i thought maybe some more evidence-based approaches can address a bit of the issue i'm not saying it's going to solve it but a bit of the issue right and then, yeah, that, that's where I met the amazing people at Weston about four years ago um, with the same vision in mind, uh, with the freedom to develop tools that, among other things, also addressed um, this bias. So, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an academic entrepreneur, uh, now investor, essentially. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe, um, so, do you, uh, let, let's, let's start chronologically. Um, yes. Kind of go through these stages. Um, you have a you have a quantitative background, um, or uh, let's say more or less within within the field of data science. I think it uh, what was it financial? Uh, was it financial? Financial computing. Yes, it's a weird word. Financial computing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a fancy word. So um, let me maybe explain a bit where I started. Actually, I'm also quite. Um, quite um, uh, a strange profile also when it comes to data science. So I started as an economics and politics, you know, that's where my undergraduate is in. Why? Because I wanted to understand how societies uh, work, you know, and what's the best way than just, you know, doing some looking at governments, looking at societies, looking at economics. Um, I've always been passionate about data, you know, and, and about coding my, 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 my first, uh, attempt was when I was a teenager uh, writing little uh, 3D video games, right? So even through my social sciences studies, I kept that passion on the side, right? And after that, I decided, okay, social sciences, studying economics is cool, but I don't see enough data-driven efforts there, right? So this is why after I, I studied at University College London, I wanted to have the, the intellectual freedom to combine um, a bit, you know, my passion for understanding economics, financial systems, and societies with more quantitative methods, right? And that's what I happened to um, to meet then the amazing people I worked with at the 
uh, at the Financial Computing Center in, 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 at UCL University College London, where um, it's just a fancy name to where, where, where you combine people who use computer science, physics, um, um, complex system science um, to really uh, machine learning, of course, artificial intelligence on a variety of problems, which, which, which are about finance. It can be from quant, quant trading, how to better invest in the stock markets, um, to new kind of blockchain assets and how you can manage them, to things that I did that were more on, we have financial crisis. How the hell can we understand why they happen and therefore how to contain them? So really my, my focus was using data science, using a bit of complex system science um, to understand how banks interacted with each other. Um, why crises were happening, why, the, why in 2008 everything went down, um, and, and, and what we can do about that, right? I was one of those people together with quite a few amazing, um, um, quite, quite some amazing talent that were trying to address this issue. So this was really one big chunk of my, of my PhD, and, uh, and that falls within this fancy name of financial computing, essentially. Right. You know what's interesting now that you mentioned that, uh, as you said, like, okay, so we have the center and then there's, you know, different fields or different you know, people that work in different fields. And then you also mentioned like, for example, quants, right? Uh, yeah. The funny thing is if you, if you now make a bridge, right, to, to that field of like data science, and then let's say coming from the, uh, looking at the academic world where you have so much diversity and let's say there's one topic and, and you know, and, uh, and that topic is like, you know, kind of a lifetime work where you can just like spend your whole life just researching yeah. that topic and then going basically to the, to the, um, yeah, to kind of the applied, applied side to it. If you, if you go kind of into, you know, real economic world and you take the field of data science, right. And there's, I mean, it's so funny that there's so many people with so many diverse backgrounds that can come in there. Right. I mean, again, how many, how many, uh, for how many years has been, has been their people, you know, who have been graduating with also kind of this, you know, let's say more or less financial background, but using, you know, different statistical methods, maybe also, you know, um, again, as technology has been developing, you know, um, back with more computational power, for example, how many people have been, you know, graduating from, from schools there who have not been called data scientists, right? But yeah, ultimately, absolutely. And, and that's the funny thing about it, right? Yeah, actually, actually, I remember when I started my PhD, the, the term data science was not a thing yet. Uh, it, it, it was, you know, you were doing inferential statistics, you were doing machine learning, right? Then, then, then the word came up and, and obviously it was such, such an appealing word that, that everybody used it. But yeah, maybe to address your point, you're right, finance um, attracts all kinds of amazing quantitative talent. Uh, you know, from, from, from basic research such as physics and... Uh, or by even biological systems to 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 to, to computer scientists, right? And and I think there are two reasons, um, which which might not be the best ones if you ask me. Actually, um, one is you have data, you have lots of data. Maybe not in venture capital. I can come to that later. Actually, that's the most painful um, uh, kind of asset class in in finance. But take public equity, take forex, take um, futures. You have lots of daily prices together with news and sentiment data that you can, can just adopt and play with to create investment strategies. So that, that's an interesting challenge. You don't need to worry about where the data is. It's a matter of you to gather it and structure it. Uh, and the other one is, uh, de depending on where you work, it's actually quite um, financially attractive, um, which actually is, is a kind of, um, um, of a critical issue because uh, the, lots of major quant firms are attracting talent that might instead be used to address some of the most pressing issues into the world. There is a beautiful book, now, now it's quite old actually, 2002 I think, called The Ingenuity Gap, that was really addressing how some of the best talents, you know, the best um, uh, theoretical physicists to the genius in, 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 in biology were all going to do derivative trading in finance, right? And and, and, and you feel like, why is that talent going there? Well, there are market mechanisms. Uh, definitely, this is changing now. Uh, but you still see that as a reason, you know, people are, want to be financially independent. Uh, but there has to be an ethical, <laughs> let's say, an ethical dimension that it is now, I think, finally happening. I'm really happy for that, actually. 
Yeah, true, true. So um, let's uh, let's then go to the next one. You said you said uh, entrepreneur. Uh, how how how? What was your first let's say connection from let's say okay you being an academic or uh, being in academia and then let's say having that. I mean, yeah, London is a, is a place that is quite uh, vibrant and also fast moving and stuff like that. And I mean, even if you're if you're at UCL or uh, yeah, um, yeah, universities there, I think you will more or less will get into contact with the startup scene. But what was your first, let's say, contact there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my my very very first uh, um, uh, entrepreneurial adventure was actually. Uh, a not-for-profit company. Um, that, that, that sounds peculiar because lots of people, um, uh, you know, just identify entrepreneurship with, with for-profit. I, I, I don't think so. I think also making a not-for-profit company is just as hard, probably even harder. And, and uh, I would not advise it except for some specific kind of missions to reach, right? And that was really during my, towards the end of my undergraduate. So I've always had something on the side during my studies that um, I, I loved doing, um, and, and with this, we were really um, developing products, uh, data insights together with other PhDs and other researchers to to, to sort of uh, one inform citizenships. So by that, I mean um, using data to explain people what the hell is going on, why do we have high unemployment rates in Italy, why do we have a debt crisis in Europe, um, and, and things that usually an expert would understand only. But you need uninformed citizenship to have a better society, to have them maybe vote a bit more informed, right? So that was the problem we were addressing. And at the same time, we were selling some of, of, of those insights in form of, of, of data products to, 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 to newspapers, media, um, academic institutions, and, 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 uh, and, and, and various others, right? So that was my first one. And then I went on to more, as, as, as I knew, kind of intellectually, uh, matured more ideas within the spectrum of finance, data, complex systems, into also um, uh, um, creating a bit of uh, investment strategies, and data-driven investment strategy for, say, hedge funds, funds that you know have invested in a set of different asset classes. Back then, you did not have uh, within those companies a full-time quant team, and you know that's an opportunity. That's the opportunity that we went in. Um, and, uh, and and it was fun. It, it was really fun. And we were thinking of uh, even raising money. Truthfully, uh, we did not need because we were first not really pointed towards becoming um, unicorns or hyper growth. We wanted to generate a very good amount of revenue uh, w without that ambition, to be honest. Uh, but when we engaged with uh, with investors, uh, you could see the bias. Bias there was. Uh, who you are, who introduced you to them, biases towards um, how you grow, because you know there are different opinions in VC. You need to get an exit in three years, which is amazing uh, as an investor. Like if I put my hat as a VC, that sounds amazing. But there are other ways of doing companies, right? And that that's something that I experienced, and uh, and sort of something that I kept in my mind also for the future and and to the for for now even. Yeah, um, you just mentioned VC, you know, and I think, uh, and I think that's the that's the perfect point also to kind of make the bridge then, because yeah. you know, there's uh, there's a lot been going on for the company that you are, uh, let's say, a partner of actually. Uh, so yeah. and you know, my my question here is, why why VC? And how how and why Redstone obviously, and how did this whole whole thing basically kick off? So with you together. So what was yeah. your story with that basically? Yeah, let, let me let me start from from a couple of us of of, of basic uh, principles. Um, I joined venture capital with the idea that the traditional model is broken. Let me explain that. Um, we uh, so first of all. Within the early stage tech landscape, you only have a very minor percentage of companies that, that actually succeed, whatever that means, right? If you look at the layer on top of that, which are investors, given this 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 distribution of success that you have below, the the the, the rate of success of VCs is even lower. You know that, that that's it, it's just statistics. That's that's uh, that's math, right? 
um, and and therefore that already tells you that the way we the way we do VCs now is is uh, definitely a few people's game, right? On top of that, then what I notice is that there are problems. I already said that uh, let me repeat it again in biases in how we make decisions. People tend to invest into others that look similar, the no similar people, um, and that creates bubbles. That you're not seeing diverse communities, you're not seeing segments of society or markets that you would have otherwise looked at. And third, VC is a type of investment that, does, that only serves a specific kind of companies nowadays. And those are companies that can sustain um, some sort of hyper growth that satisfies the return requirements of, of, of you as an investment manager or, or, and, and your LPs, right? So um, I came with the idea that um, we also actually one more one more thing is that this this traditional uh, assumption that you have one team one fund uh, one team you know VC is very relationship based you need to have this person this group of people that really have been doing that for ten years that build a network which which makes a lot of sense and then and then you use that network to source opportunities to get known and so on and so forth right so these are the bit of things which I am expecting to change over the next years. Um, Weston, uh, to me, fell, fell, fell in the picture for, for several reasons. One is that we, we have an open approach to our biases. We know we're biased, you know. Uh, my, myself, you know, my other partners, we come from specific backgrounds. Some of them might be, you know, white male entrepreneurs and no other white male entrepreneurs. I might be maybe yeah, Italian, but, you know, I have my own biases, right? Whether it's uh, people I know, whether it's people I see, successful or not, we are aware of them. And on top of that also, uh, while many VCs source opportunities only through the network, which, which I mean, it's obviously good, we also on top of that um, decided to try to know as much as possible from as many companies as possible, right? How do we do that? That's through technology. So we are trying to overcome at least some of our biases, the network biases, the people we know bias, um, by instead collecting as much info uh, from the wider universe of companies, such that if I'm looking at an IoT company at time X, and that company was introduced to me by one of my other partners, uh, I obviously talk to them because I trust my partner's opinion, but at the same time, um, I want to make sure that I understand fully what's going on within the IoT landscape, what are the other companies there, and whether that company is actually the one I need to spend my time on. There is a lot of, uh, there is a lot of, uh, um, of research going on. And, and, and don't get me wrong, this is done also in many other firms. The difference, I would argue, and, 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 and some VCs are catching up with that, is that we automate that, or we make it much, much more efficient. Um, if I need to look at the IoT landscape uh, in a more traditional way, I would have my my investment team talk to a lot of people for for, for quite some time, uh, many founders taking notes and, and and so on and so forth, which is important. But we try to speed it up by by at least one order of magnitude um, by already having that data, by having my team exploring already the landscape of companies we already know thanks to. Our, our data-driven sourcing approaches, right? So that's one thing, and that, and that allows us to go beyond. I, I happen to, to have invested in, 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 in companies that uh, I never heard about. I, I had nobody in my network that could make an, an intro, right? Uh, and on the other side, uh, also knowing a company and then finding the right person that could, could introduce me to them. That's also important, right? Because you might know about a company, but that doesn't mean that you're going to have access to, you know, for an investment opportunity. That the network there is still important. Um, maybe another thing about about Reston, um, uh, we also challenge the uh, this 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 paradigm that you need to have one team, one fund. We Reston think of Reston as an operating system for venture capital. We have a horizontal base, which is our investment team, our technology that we are using to serve different uh, investment products, investment funds. We started about six years ago with, with corporates. We saw that lots of corporates want to invest into, into tech for strategic reasons, right? But that, that capital is really hard to activate. You need to build your own team. You need to build your own network. 
and, and lots, of, lots of corporates are doing that by themselves. Some of them successfully, some of them are not. And, and some of them decide to partner with us because we already have the network, you already have the operating system to help and, and activate an investment strategy really from day one, right? On top of that, in the last couple of years, we also started to have on top of this operating system, uh, um, our own funds, right? So you, you, you saw um, that we recently uh, have launched um, a, a fund focused on, on industrial tech for European companies, right? Specifically for European companies, um, which is our own. We are the GPs only. The, the, there is no corporate who owns it. It's as in cooperation with um, uh, a Japanese financial institution called SPI. Um, and that's also part of this structure, right? So again, Reston is, is made of people, made of technology, as a ground base on top of which we are building investment products. And that's completely different from the traditional VC model, in my opinion. So it's more or less kind of uh, venture capital as a service, basically. Yeah, that, that exactly. That's how we call it. It's uh, it, it didn't. It usually doesn't stick. The discussion doesn't really stick with people because it, what does it actually mean? So sometimes we don't use it. But that's that's exactly the the, the point. That, yeah. Um, you know what I find interesting? I thought about this now as you uh, when you mentioned this 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 bias aspect, which is actually a fundamental issue ultimately and however it is at the same time it is you know it's contradicting the uh ultimate goal of a vc firm which is uh, obviously you know a successful investment and yeah. you know i thought about it maybe you know what 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 does it what does define or what is defining a successful you know a successful startup aka their business model right besides obviously yeah. I mean, the team and stuff like that right but and and the right timing and all these factors but let's say ultimately the business model right and it is it is the market right so if we come from a very yeah. if we come from a very traditional perspective of you know from from an economics theory with like i don't know invisible hand or whatever then maybe you know first things first maybe it is more important to lay you know a focus on okay let's you know early stage investments and stuff like that really you know having the there we have the bias thing but first first things first maybe we should you know wait that you know a, a company basically kind of you know goes in the market you know and the market basically shows whether there's you know this is the right not only the right timing but there's also the need for this right and then yeah. and yeah. then you have and then it's a completely thing it's a completely different thing because then you don't have this gatekeeping kind of you know this vc being the gatekeeper to basically, you know, um, capital and, uh, and basically already sorting out based on their bias, basically on what they think, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a good, as a, as a good, uh, good thing, basically. Right. Yeah. 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 Let, let me tell you how I think about this. Um, I, I usually, when I talk about, about this topics, I, I like to make an analogy of think about a company, a, a tech company as an animal, you know, an animal to survive as to a, internal properties, whether it's claws, limbs to move around and so on and so forth. And that, that, that's endogenous factors, internal factors, such as the quality of the team, you know, how good they are working together, uh, the quality of the product and so on and so forth. Uh, on top of that, as you, were, as you were implying, you have the ecosystem, you know, an animal uh, that is done, that, you know, a polar bear cannot live in a desert, it just dies. The ecosystem is not the right one. Uh, think of ecosystem as exogenous factors that you cannot control. That's that's uh, markets, or, we, or you can partially control. I would say Mar that's the markets. That's uh, you know economic uh, trends and waves uh, and so on and so forth. Right? What we look at, what we what we're trying to do uh, with, with this data-driven approach is to inform with as much ground evidence, empirical evidence as possible. The, the endogenous, so quality of the team and so on and so forth, as well as the exogenous factors. Me, as a person, as Stefano, I have my own expertise. I know, I know certain sectors very well, I, and, and that creates biases, which are good oftentimes, right? I, I can say that I know what's happening in a certain sector. Um, but when you are in an in entire investment strategy where you look at things from cybersecurity to quantum computing, yes, I may be fairly knowledgeable about all of that, Truth is, I need to admit that I don't know enough for everything, right? 
and this is where I'm using, this is where we are using um, um, a data-driven approach also to understand market dynamics, to understand where innovation is going. Because um, also think about this, uh, the, the job of a venture capital investor is to uh, nurture things that have not happened in the past, you know, whether it's new technology, whether it's a new business model uh, in a new geography and so on and so forth. You do not have precedence. You do not have uh, stuff that tells you this is going to happen tomorrow because it happened in the past. If that happens, usually that it's actually not the greatest of signals, right? Um, and, uh, and we try to, to capture that, to quantitatively um, understand that, that not, not maybe predicting, that's impossible in my opinion, but understanding the arrow of innovation, where is it going? Why, why would a Facebook be successful and not a MySpace? What was different then? What was right for that innovation leap, right? These are very hard questions. Um, we, we're building answers. We, uh, I'm not saying we have the crystal ball and, 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 and we use that to make investments. Uh, I, I wish that. that, that would take a couple of years more. Um, but, but, but that's the approach in mind. That's the philosophy that we have in mind. And that's where actually lots of people even in academia are trying to work on. Right. Um, let's maybe dive deeper into, um, into this uh, technological, let's say, layer that you talked about. So um, maybe, maybe uh, kind of, yeah, give us more examples on, uh, on what, what exactly, let's say, uh, you guys have there that, um, you know, gives you, or maybe also in terms of methods, because if you say like, yeah, you know, we, we use data science for, or techniques, for example, to, you know, to, for, uh, within our work, right? Maybe give us yeah. some more, more examples into, into how that looks like. Yeah, yeah, it's actually nothing that fancy. We don't use a, a, a exotic uh, machine learning methods or deep learning and stuff like that. It, it's, uh, it's way more, like, that's not the challenge. The challenge is really collecting data first. So let me start from them and give you an example. Um, as I said, we try to have a universe of, 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 of companies to, to, to know about, to track, upon which I can build an investment thesis, right? Um, and what we spent, uh, thanks to our amazing uh, tech team, what we spent uh, time on was really to build uh, an, a, an infrastructure that will collect and integrate data coming from structured and unstructured sources. That means structured sources might be the usual branch base, right, as well as you know, the various competitors that, that, that uh, give you a table view of companies out there, as well as a structure. You know, we experimented a lot with um, data coming from news, data coming from, from social media, uh, and so on and so forth. And that's a way for us to know about companies, discover them, or just getting new information about them. And we put it all together. That, that's, not, uh, that's not rocket science. That's, uh, that's a data engineering challenge. It, it, it is challenging because you need to harmonize the data, make sure that it does make sense, uh, lots of exceptions around and so on and so forth. But, uh, but that's definitely the first step. And that's where, um, uh, that's usually a, a good starting point for many um, data-driven VCs that I've interacted with, because obviously we are not the only ones. Then on top of that, what we are especially careful with is organizing this. We, we have 700,000 uh, early stage, pre-IPO, uh, mostly companies that, that, that we track, you know, that we look at. Um, that's too much. I cannot ask my investment team to uh, find the one that I want to invest <laughs> within the space. It's just huge, right? So we need to organize that. So another thing that we build, we build on top of that using, you know, natural language processing and, and methods uh, and others. Um, um, taxonomies, you know, way to know without me reading, going to the website of the company, what the company does. That's important because especially in our business, when, you know, we work with corporates, corporates might not be interested just in, say, um, fintech or industrial tech. They want to know exactly, give me that company that deals with material handling and I need to know about that, right? So because of this business need, we developed ways to organize the data. Right, and that so this taxonomy is something that we build in house, constantly improving. Uh, sometimes there are problems. Sometimes you know we just overcome those problems, and we change that over time. And then on top of that, becomes okay. Now that I know this, say I have, I want to invest in in, in, in fintech. I know that within my mandate there are a few thousand companies there. 
how am I supposed to spend my time on them? Like, who are the people I should talk to among all these founders, right? Um, a way that we use data to make our job easier is that we score companies based on the information we have about them. And that is information about the team's uh, backgrounds, about the team's uh, past experiences, uh, information about who are investors. Th that's something important that we discovered. Um, if you have an investor, uh, who the investor is tells me a lot about you. So it, 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 it's a strong signal. Uh, uh, sometimes also self-fulfilling process. If you have a, a tier one investor that everybody knows about, people want to talk to you. Um, and you know, that, that, that creates this, 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 uh, this spiral positive effect for your company, right? That it's measurable, we, we know about it. So that's another dimension. We look at uh, funding signals, you know, uh, according to your sector, how much you've raised, how much you've not, how, what was the gap between one raise and another, and a couple of other things, right? So we use this, this sort of dimensions to prioritize, to say, okay, this company, based on the information we know, uh, might be more likely to raise a next funding round, uh, have an exit within a certain time frame. Or, or, or some other measure of, of, of success, wherever you define success, right? This, this allows me maybe not to look at 1,000 companies, but maybe there will be 50 of them that I need to spend my time on. So when I have this list, I, I'm not going, I, I, again, the, the scoring methodologies do not tell us this is the one. They tell us you should spend more time on this set of companies, Stefan. Um, so what we do then is that we, we activate ourselves on that. We, we approach them proactively. We do lots of outbound sourcing. Uh, so we don't just wait for a company to come and pitch to us. We, we go there, which, which uh, I think is becoming more common in VC, in my opinion, especially with more competition, more capital around. Uh, but we have a methodology that makes us more um, efficient. On top of that, uh, we also measure, we also track uh, almost every VC transaction, which has been publicly announced. We track them, we see who is invested with whom, uh, who is maybe uh, uh, specializing in certain type of investors, who are the gatekeepers for certain deals, right? So on top of knowing the companies, we also quantitatively track who are the investors that I need to connect with uh, or to build a, perhaps a better relationship for a certain investment thesis. And that actually was the, uh, one of the most uh, surprising uh, outcomes of our work, I would say. Right. Do, you, do, you manually score? Do, do you manually score them? It's, it's all automated. We, we, have a, you know, we, we have a scoring methodology uh, with, with certain assumptions of how important is a team that, uh, in, in order factors. We change them over time. We, 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 we test this, this, this weighting, let's say, over time and because we know it can differ. Uh, according to sector, according to maturity of, of a market. Um, we have done also something called backtesting for, for, I mean, backtesting is something especially used in more traditional finance where you say, I have an investment strategy. I think I know where to invest. Let me try, if I didn't in the past, how successful would, you know, would they have been, right? Um, that's hard to do in venture capital because what happened five years ago is extremely different than what's happening now. Yeah. Yet it's, it's, it's one of the measures that at least can help me give a better idea. Although it's much harder than doing that for, for public markets, of course. So it's all automated. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's really interesting. It's, uh, it's um, really, really cool. I mean, uh, as when, you started to say, when you started to talk about, yeah, uh, you know, uh, that you take structured, unstructured data, you know, that's not the hard part. But then again, you know, if, taking that data and then making something out of that, you know, implementing, you know, different scoring methodologies and stuff like that, you know, that's where it becomes interesting and also combining that and actually finding value yeah. in that, right? That's, I mean, ultimately what you, uh, when you, when you, it's uh, in the beginning, you know, I, I just had a thought, you know, advanced web scraping, but then again, you know, in the later stage, you have the data. Okay. And then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, web scraping, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, it's something everybody uh, will start with, it's not as easy as it sounds, let me be honest with you. Um, yeah. Especially for, for, for early stage tech, because there is not much data around. You need to be smart on, on what, you, what kind of signals you want to get. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's just a very fancy web scraping challenge or 
uh, you know, API uh, connections and stuff like that, right? Uh, yeah. But the, what comes after is really the, the, the fun. For example, um, something that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about, my, 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 uh, like my PhD was about that, is something called graph theory. That is essentially yeah. understanding in a quantitative way how networks are connected to each other, right? And if I, if I make this more concrete for investors, you know, investors co-invest. Investors invest after another. Right, that that is a network. That is a network of a global network of investors, which are connected by transactions. Right, so yep. that's something that it's a whole new type of analytics. We don't just predict uh, based on the past. We also look at relationships and make decisions, understand things based on the starting of those relationships quantitatively, which is something that uh, not 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 too many people are still doing. Uh, at least in our space, but uh, it'll be a wave in data science with the right data. That's yeah, uh, really, really cool stuff that you're doing. Um, you mentioned, you quickly mentioned uh, corporate uh, corporates as well. Um, yeah. I would like to, I would like to uh, get your opinion on on um, on corporate venturing. So, what is uh, you know, I mean, over the past decade, uh, I think every major corporate has their own. Um, yeah, let's say uh, uh, emerging tech fund or um, so, so to say venture capital arm. Um, however, I do have an opinion on that as well. Mm. I would like mm -hmm. to first, or maybe um, I can state one opinion uh, or one central opinion on that before you uh, you go on and and then tell. Please, yes. Yeah. That is the following, which there is some good examples globally um, yeah. different industries um, however uh, especially i mean now because we we're both in germany uh, or in europe i would argue that um, there's not much happening uh, from let's say from a lot of them that are existing uh, or i would i would dare to say that uh, you know there hasn't been really a lot of bigger investments or more strategic bigger bigger strategic investments from these corporate ventures where, where you think okay you know actually capital is there why is why why isn't there more activities activities in that so that is just my um let's say a personal but um obviously not an insider uh, opinion so uh, yeah what i would like to get your take on this yeah i uh, through 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 my work uh my team and i have seen all the extremes in the spectrum both good and bad like very bad right so maybe let me start with uh, uh, the main reason why um, a corporate wants to start investing uh, is because of um, because if you threatened uh, let, let me explain that they're very well aware that if they do not uh, if they are not exposed to innovation uh, between now and the next 10 years, the business model, uh, the way they do, they, they would be impacted, they would be eaten away, right? So it comes from almost like a risk management. Traditionally, how did you do this? You had two methods. You had R&D, so you develop stuff in-house, and you have M&A, you buy directly things. Well, uh, especially in the last 10 years, the, 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 with, with digital tech especially, not, not, not just uh, the, the hard part, right? With, with digital tech, things are going so fast that by the time you want to buy a company, uh, they're just too expensive. It, it's just not a deal you can make, right? So, um, corporate venture has come as a, for, for many, for, for many corporates at least, not all of them, as a way, as a new logic to uh, get exposed through minority investments to a portfolio of innovation experiments, right? Where they also make strategic sense. Um, so this is where they're coming from. This is how most people we work with, most corporates we work with, think, right? Um, what are the consequences of that? One is that uh, they are often not financially driven or as not as financially driven as an institutional investor. They always say they want to make money, of course, yeah, but uh, very honestly, most of the cases is not really the first approach. So that's important because that what that means is that they they don't look at companies uh, in the same uh, with the same zeal of an institutional investor, right? And that can be 
good for some, but really bad for others because they don't look at your uh, success as an entrepreneur, they look at your success in relation to what the corporate strategy is. Um, and uh, and the other thing is that they, the, the goal is if I, if I invest with you uh, in, in a company as a corporate, I oftentimes say that uh, as a corporate, I, I will help you with, you know, getting within the structure of my corporate, right? Or, or something on that line with expertise in the sectors. So, some corporates divide that at all. For example, um, uh, you know, M12, Intel, they, they're more independent, right? But often the others, especially in Germany, they are not, right? And that's really where things break down. Um, at least one of two ways, in my opinion, because it, 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 it's extremely hard to build a nice process that at the pace of a startup can help uh, a portfolio company to really interact meaningfully with a business unit within a corporate. So that, that's a main challenge. And that's where I think uh, lots of corporates need to work on, right? And uh, we, we, we've been helping them. We have extremely amazing uh, case studies, but also some that did not go that well. The other one is, uh, and that answer, I mean, partially at least your, your, your worry about there's not much has been happening. Um, that's, uh, that's governance. How, who is making what decisions, right? Uh, sometimes decisions of investments are tied to uh, words that don't, where VC is just one of many words, right? Uh, and, and, or sometimes governance is tied with uh, the, you know, the water, uh, very convoluted sometimes um, type of decision making that a corporate has, right? And and that's why it takes so long. So they they're, they're not hungry. They're not as hungry to build a twenty plus uh, portfolio of companies in three years like an institution of VC. They have uh, slower governance and uh, and 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 the way they invest is uh, less with the financial lenses on their eyes. Right. Um... To, uh, I w want to argue on the first point as well, but to, to follow yes. up the second point, um, maybe as uh, would you would you think that if there's, uh, you said they're not as urgent as a VC, maybe that is okay, either them not really recognizing that it that you know it would be better if they would you know um, have a quicker quicker process of of let's say uh, investing. Or is it maybe also that they haven't seen many successes yet? Because if they would have, if there, if there would have been, let's say, more successful invest investments. Uh, but again, you know, you could argue, okay, you would need to have a couple before, you know, you would have a winning, uh, winning one. But still, I mean, uh, wouldn't you, wouldn't you argue that, you know, if a company realized that, okay, you know, we've had a really successful investment, it really paid well. For well off for us let's put more money in and let's let's say invest into more mm, yes and no in my opinion because the, the point is really not making more money again i mean definitely you need to a return on investment implies that your company the company is doing something right because it's generating revenue people want to buy from them right but yeah. uh but but that is not the main driver of most corporate vcs most corporate vcs again they do that because they 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 one want to be the an exposure to the new the what's new right and two um uh, they want to develop together with a portfolio new business models right so for them a success might not be that a company exits with one billion euros on their pockets it might be that they successfully created a new business model together with uh, together with a startup they invested in right and and that and and this this thinking um uh would, would not be enough to say uh, let, let's do that all the time because again in most in most corporates VC uh, is not at the top of the list. Uh, let's be honest. VC, I mean, we saw with COVID. Come on, with COVID also here we, we, we saw lots of corporate venture capital activity just being frozen because they uh, they, they are the, the opportunistic within the space. They're not the one. That's not the main business, right? And that's something that you as a founder need to be aware of. And I always, always, uh, I always make sure that I, whenever I spoke to a founder, I make them aware of pros and cons of your corporate because it can make a lot of sense. You, you might uh, benefit a lot depending on what, what is that you're building, what is that you're selling. But at the same time, it comes with certain processes which are not the ones that you 
read about, listen to uh, of a traditional VC, not at all. Um, and we need to be prepared with, you know, whenever a recession happens, whenever, uh, you know, like uh, something uh, somehow unexpected like COVID happens, that VCs will be one of the first things that will be slowed down by them because it's not the first priority. They are not professional investors. Right. Uh, you said pros and cons, you know, now, if, let's say if we take, if we take the space of like B2B startups, right? Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, as you said, pros and cons, the, the major pro, or, I mean, everybody wants to work with corporate or if you're a B2B startup, right? You know, okay, so this is, this is, our, this is what we do. This is our value position. Yeah. We identify, okay, this is our market. And in this market, you know, there's a handful of large corporates, right? Those are the big names, that, the names that everybody knows within this industry, right? And ultimately, number one goal for that startup is basically to get, you know, to get these big names basically as their customers, right? And, mm -hmm. the, the, and then everybody, obviously, the major, the major pro in that sense is, the upside is, okay, we want to we wanna work with, or we want uh, to get an investment, for example, from a corporate is that, you know, exactly what you said now going back to your first point of um you know the this this process of uh collaborating let's say with with the company so basically having having the startup and their solution basically you know being applied within that large you know or, organism basically that the, this organization yeah. is representing so if and now going back to that point you said there as well you know it is it is more or less difficult, you know, to get there into speed. So basically saying, okay, if this is, if this is the major advantage, right, to get startups quickly into, let's say, a, a pilot, piloting phases or in trial phases, basically, within yeah. the different business units, right? And let's say not only business units, but also, let's say, geographical locations, right? If you take a big corporate over in, in active in over 100 countries or whatever, to be also active, you know, not only in the, in the headquarter uh, country, but let's say also in the other, you know, um, businesses so and you said that you have let's say you have, you've let's say worked there as well in in terms of you you know having great case studies maybe we can elaborate more on this point as well because i think that's one that that one is also really important yeah and yeah, yeah. Let, let me let me let me put the hat of an entrepreneur uh, as, a, as an entrepreneur my uh, as a as a young company's ceo i my strategy when i think about corporates as to Essentially, I need to expose myself to opportunities for high growth within my B2B space, right? Um, corporates, as investors, what they offer are two things. Uh, reputational capital. You have a big name that is, you know, giving you a ticket, and that can mean a lot within a certain industry, right? And uh, in strategic capital, that means that you have, it's not about the money only. It's about the connections. It's about the network and so on and so forth. So, so you have these two classes, these two types of capital that are not about the money that you need to consider. Um, and you need to offset them with uh, what you're giving uh, out, what you're giving away, right? And that is, you know, a share of your company as well as some, um, some weight of this company to, for decision making. And that's, uh, you know, once you have this equation, you need to maybe understand what, what, what is my cost respect to my benefit, right? And if the benefit of partnering with a corporate through an investment is definitely higher according to the information you have available uh, than not, you should go for it. You should go. Uh, but what I invite there is always to, for founders to do due diligence. Um, uh, I like always to say that uh, a founder just, uh, should do just as much due diligence, just as much DD uh, as the investors do on you. Um, if a corporate has invested in previous companies, cold call, uh, reach out to portfolio companies, right? Uh, founders uh, are extremely helpful to each other, even if they never met, because you know we, sh we they all share the same burden, you know, <laughs> and and uh, and and you can have extremely useful insights. So that's something you should always do. Going to your second point about uh, great cases, I cannot go too much in depth because a lot of stuff that we do is, is strategic, right? And corporates don't want us to, 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 to show off and talk about that openly. But I would say an amazing case for us has been with, um, um, with, with one of our longstanding corporate, corporate partner, which is Berlin and Volksbank, you know, the bank, right? Volksbank, the group is, is uh, I think, the fourth largest a banking institution in Germany. Um, uh, we started with them by, you know, with a first uh, about 20 million euro 
fintech, B2B fintech for his funds uh, at the early stages of Reston. Um, almost every company we invested in resulted, not, well, not just in capital, but also uh, partnerships and, and, and connections that really benefited our portfolio companies, right? Um, obviously, the decision making uh, and, and how we invested the processes was not as uh, the typical structure as VC that you expect, right? Um, but, uh, uh, but but we had a very positive experience, so positive that you know uh, we 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 announced that uh, uh, in the la some sometime at the end of last year uh, we had fun too now with 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 Foxbank, right? Uh, with with a similar thesis providing the similar sort of reputational and strategic capital and. Uh, and we you know comp companies, founders want to work with them because uh, now they can see that it works. Also, thanks to us, the process is fairly fast, right? Uh, because we, again, going back to the operating system, we are bringing efficiency also in the deal making side, and and we found a nice a nice connection. There are other cases that uh, it's not like that, you know, um, that um, it, it, it might take more time, and, and our job as as we see as a service people is to is to mitigate that risk of course yeah um, that's really uh, it's really great to see that there's uh, also positive examples because uh, I've been talking to a lot of people let's say also from the startup space but then also from the corporate space that are either running like you know these initiatives within corporates you know that are you know all these digital apps and all that stuff you know and, and a lot yeah. of them are struggling you know to ex you know their, their their sheer existence is is based on the idea to accelerate that you know to to push that um, to be exactly different from the traditional R and D right and and somehow yeah. it, it you know there's uh, there's really uh, you know a big struggle there going on. Yeah, and I and I sympathize with that point. Like uh, this is why I say lots of due diligence. That founders should always do lots of due diligence. Who are the people you're talking to? Are people who have done deals in the past? Are people who understand what you're talking about? Are, are they people that uh, understand innovation? Uh, because an, another thing, and we have within the space realities where. Uh, some corporates and some people within those corporates just do it because everybody else is doing it, which is not really the best motivator, motivation. Uh, you might end up with people who have no clue about what they're doing, with no clear mandate from the board, with no clear mandate from within a corporate strategy. And that's where you have things that end up to clearly nothing. And, 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 and I think that, that we can say that loud, there is a lot of it um, within Europe and, and beyond, right? And it's up to the founder to really make sure to distinguish this sort of noise from uh, something more valuable. And, and again, that, that's really the part of the due diligence. That's all due diligence. Right. Um, you know, kind of, uh, let's uh, dive into uh, uh, something more, uh, let's say, related to technology. Um, I, I am I'm very much sure. I mean, you uh, are also responsible for the data science activities, uh, Redstone, as far as I understood. Um, you, you are looking at the entire space, uh, most probably of the technology space, especially what's happening. You see a lot of yeah. startups, um, especially here in Europe. So uh, what I, uh, what I want to know is what are, what is your opinion in general on the things, on the companies, the different companies, different startups that you see, um, where the core, you know, in terms of technology is, is you know, um, um, intelligence-based. So basically, okay, with, with the use of applied, applied machine learning um, and then, let's say, um, things that are really, let's say, you know, where there's just a great use case combined with like, these methodologies, right? And obviously, again, the, 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 the major, the, the uh, important part, where the data is accessible, where there's enough data to do to actually do that, right? Yeah, yeah, it's always sad, but uh, you know, for for example, the uh, how we build new funds, it's heavily uh, based on the insights that we get from data. Let me tell you, one of our recent funds that we announced is it's called Future Industry Ventures, right? It's the one that I'm also personally involved uh, together with. Uh, uh, SBI, the, the, the bank that I was mentioning before. This fund focuses on, uh, um, let's say, 
late, late, late early stage growth uh, companies that are somehow changing the way industrial systems work, right? Why, why industrial systems and why those stages and why Europe? So that, that, doesn't, that didn't come because one day uh, I or my partners just woke up and said, let's do something on that, right? They come after quite some research that we've done to answer the question, where do we see a gap in funding uh, in Europe? And what we noticed is that there is an undervalued asset class and that asset class is um, deep tech. So technologies that are that required quite some time to rapid, which are hard to reproduce, that take time to develop. Um, that have gone past the seed and, and the series A stages. So they've already been proven. And at those times, usually you have a university accelerator, you have a seed investor that, if you're good, can give you money. Where they struggle then is this valley just before the growth, just before you can actually make a sustainable business. What happens there, we notice through looking at funding rounds, looking at investor activities, looking at, um, um, uh, uh, the dynamics of, of the quality and, 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 and the health of, of these companies in Europe is that uh, if you manage to make past the growth tipping point, you usually need to go and ask for capital somewhere else. So in Europe, we have very few investors who focus on the growth, early growth stage for this sort of companies. So it's an asset class that was not served properly, right? And this is what this is how uh, uh, this insights came through. Um, but by, by looking at, at, the statistics, at the statistics behind our data, you know, all the data we collected, that, how I told you before, how we classified that before, told us that this was a gap to be filled. On top of that, we also looked at, you know, uh, some, some, some data, uh, well, from qualitative reports about the innovation in Europe to uh, academic research and, and, and patents and stuff. And, um, we also noticed that there is a lot of unique in like knowledge, unique innovation coming out of Europe that doesn't somehow go into market, right? So yeah. our idea was really to sort of um, fill that gap and we did it using data. So we design funds based on the insights that we get from data. Um, that is a really interesting point uh, you mentioned. Um, a funny thing is, you know, there's a... Uh, there's a there's a lot of let's say these accelerate university accelerators um, existing in in, in 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 the UK for example I know that uh, I've checked them uh, quite a while ago for example from Oxford from Cambridge from from UCL as well um, there's not not every university has them but let's say I, I would argue that, that most probably the biggest universities in, in Europe have them and the funny thing is that if you look at if you if you look at the if, if you compare that to the U.S., for example, right, in terms of how many companies are really, how many startups are coming out of universities there and really make it exactly this, this, this phase where, uh, that you just mentioned, right, this early growth stage, right, that, that are really moving from a, 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 you know, a university-developed startup, basically, to, you know, to actually establishing themselves in the market and then, you know, getting into the, in the, in the, in the next funding phases and stuff like that. It's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's uh, and that's why I, I would argue as well, that's why the, the funds that are accessible to the universities in the, in the U.S., right, compared to, <laughs> compared to in Europe are yeah. so much different because, you know, the universities are gaining so much from that, right? They're, I mean, every, every time a company is making it out of, out of there, right, they benefit from that as well. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, that's a massive issue that, that uh, we, we are aware of. There, there are some exceptional cases, I think. Um, I, I think uh, Switzerland and, and the UK, well, UK, I would say many the London, Oxbridge, Triangle um, are doing a lot. Are really doing a lot. Uh, I, I didn't know that what they're doing is building an ecosystem. They're nurturing an ecosystem where you have research together with investors, together with an entrepreneurial mindset that just makes it more likely for, yeah. for a student, for a researcher to spin something off, right? But we do miss that um, in other parts of Europe. Um, some, many people with whom I, I, I speak about this, they say, oh, it's cultural. That's how it is. Europe, uh, you know, professors are in a way. I understand that, um, but I cannot relate to that because what happened at the MIT, what happened at, at Stanford, uh, it's been a con it just it's not it just 
happened randomly. Um, there, are, there are beautiful books of how, uh, say, for example, an economist at UCL called uh, Mariana Mazzucato, you know, how, how this is something being nurtured oftentimes by the public sector. There are initiatives. You can tinker at creative ecosystems. You will never design, like, I mean, you will never be like God's intelligent design of, of an ecosystem. And tomorrow you have in Berlin uh, two universities with the best founders coming out there, right? Um, but, but you can seed a list with the sort of investment, just like Zurich, um, uh, Lausanne is doing, just like Oxford, Cambridge, and UCL and Imperial are doing. And I think that is possible. I think it is possible everywhere. But it will take time because um, you need to adjust, right? And, and I see that happening, and, and, and I, I do hope so. Um, in, in southern Paris, um, there, there is a nice uh, conglomerate of, of research centers and universities who are flourishing in that way. Lots of space tech or IoT tech is really coming out of that, right? Um, Germany, uh, hope soon. But, but we already have good, very good examples, but Compared, say, to Switzerland or to the neighbor, uh, we're not there yet. Hey, Stefano, it was great. Uh, great talking to you, man. It was uh, really, um, a really interesting conversation. Uh, enjoyed having you in the show. Same here. Uh, it was super fun to, to chat about these topics with you.